0: All right, our scripture today is from Psalm 100. So let's read Psalm 100 together. And you're going to notice this is going to tie in with the stuff. I'm I'm happy Ben said the thing about exalt, because that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. So Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Who's excited to hear a sermon about joy? Who wants to be told to be more joyful? Me. Me? Okay, good. I'm glad. I think you might be lying. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I remember, Right. most of you are aware that me and Meredith moved down here following the soldiers and the mensals about a year ago now, almost. And right before we left our home church in Bloomington, a godly older man had something that he wanted to say to me, and he kind of cornered me, and I knew whatever it was it was going to be the profound piece of wisdom that he thought i really needed and so he cornered me i actually gave him a ride home and we talked about nothing the whole way and then before he got out of the car he j- he just you know he'd been gearing up for this this was the thing that he wanted to say and it's the one big piece of advice that has stuck with me he said you know nathan i feel like sometimes jake can carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. I've just, I've just noticed that about Jake. And uh, uh, Ben, Ben Sulzer, I've noticed sometimes Ben Sulzer can carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. And Nathan, I've noticed about you, sometimes you can carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. So just remember this, Nathan, and, and be sure to let the other guys know. God commands you to be happy. (laughs) Click, got out of the car, walked away. For those of you from Bloomington, it was Andy Halsey. Um, And I think the only thing I said was, great, Andy. I mean, I I wasn't disrespectful about it, but I just said, cool, uh, well, thank you. I think what I actually said was, I'm sure in 10 years, Andy, I'll be thanking you for that Piece of advice. (laughs) Which sounds kind of snarky now that I repeat it back to all of you. (laughs) But I didn't want to hear that. I don't like being told to have joy. I don't like sermons and speeches about being in the joy of the Lord. I don't like, in many ways, reading this psalm and having it command us to do things like, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. I don't really like that in a lot of ways. I don't know. The people that I've known oftentimes in my life who try to be that way are some of the phoniest people. I don't know if anybody resonates with this, but if you've ever known someone who's just in the joy of the Lord all the time, you're like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're just as sad and depressed as the rest of us. Your life is just as hard. Your sins are just as bad. Only you slap a fat, phony smile on your face. I mean, maybe I'm the only cynic in the room. But oftentimes, yes, I am. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Okay. Um. (laughs) Oftentimes, when I have encountered people who talk a lot about joy, those are the people that I'm uneasy with. Rightly... Or wrongly, And when I'm told that I should have joy, that I should be happy in God, I'm like, okay, but I still have to pay the mortgage. I still have to do the work. I still have to deal with my own sin. I still have to grieve my own sin. I still have to, like, life goes on. So what is it that you're talking about? Do you want me to just smile as bad things happen? Do you want me to smile as I deal with my own sins. You wanted me to say, yippee, I have a headache. Yippee, I'm tired. Yippee, it's hard to pay the bills. Is is that what this is calling us to? And then you have the kind of answers that you sometimes hear, or that you you try to make it work in your mind. And so you're like, okay, it must be a spiritual thing. It must just be like a, a spiritual state of being that you can kind of enter into, and it doesn't actually mean be happy. It doesn't actually mean have joy like the standard way that we would understand joy. All the, you know, all through the Bible, have joy. As we talk about Philippians in the upcoming weeks, we're going to come back to this again and again and again. Rejoice. Rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice. I, 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 maybe it's just some spiritual, theological thing that I don't quite understand, but it's something. It, it, it means something. I don't know. And then you go to a psalm like this, and it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Skipping down to verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. You read passages like that. You read other passages, and it just feels like, you know, we could try and make it into a theological thing, but actually... Kind of sounds like we're just supposed to be happy. Kind of sounds like we're supposed to have outward signs of happiness, smileness, or smileness, <laughs> smiling, joy, dancing, singing. It kind of sounds like we're supposed to just be like, like when I say be happy, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? It doesn't actually sound like a big, deep theological construct. So what is actual Christian joy? And how can we have it? how do we apply a passage like this? That's what I want to talk about today. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about that is because, I guess I didn't say at the top, a few of us in this room went to a pastor's conference this week. Our home church, Trinity in Bloomington, was hosting a pastor's college. Our presbytery. There's so many different layers to this, and some of you may not even be aware. We're part of a presbytery. It's called Evangel Presbytery. That presbytery has a school for pastors. It's called New Geneva Academy. New Geneva Academy had a conference. It was called the Good Soldier Conference. A bunch of pastors and shepherds and uh, aspiring elders and people like that went to this conference. I was one of them. Uh, Meredith came. The soldiers were there. Jake would have been there, but he got COVID. We sit and we listen to people talk at this conference about who we are supposed to be, who pastors are supposed to be, what the church is supposed to be. You know, like any conference. You go to a marriage conference. You could have a great marriage, but you're still going to think about, what am I like as a husband? What is my wife like as a wife? What is What can we do better? Right? So you're evaluating and you're thinking about all these things. I spent the week, Ben and Megan Meredith, we spent the week thinking about this church. And one thing that is true of a church plant in general, and I think this church plant in particular, is that we are in the process, this is just a very obvious thing to say, we are in the process of becoming something. We have not already became. We are not the established thing that we will one day be. We are deciding right now, all of us in this room together, who we want to be, what kind of Christian community we want to have, what sort of preaching, what sort of eventually Sunday school, men's group, women group. We are making that together, right? We are all in the process of finding out who we are. And in that sense, we're kind of all looking to take the next step in terms of fellowship, in terms of obeying the Word. I think that's true of us corporately. I think that's true of any church plant. I think it's particularly true of this church plant. I also think it's particularly true of the people in this room that we are all looking to level up. I think many of us are here. I remember reading a restaurant critic talk about how do you tell what the really good restaurants are? You can tell Because it's just a terrible hole-in-the-wall restaurant with no ambiance, with with cranky old servers, with with, it it, it looks bad, and yet people go there. So, so why do they go there? What's the if it's not the ambiance, if it's not all the beautiful people, what could possibly be keeping this restaurant going? The food, right? Well, a church plant is a little bit like that, actually. You ain't here for our wonderful Sunday school program. I mean, I don't think that Ben will be insulted if I say, you ain't here for our wonderful worship. I think our worship is wonderful, but that ain't why you're here. You're not here because we have all the programs in place. You're not here because we're going to be able to plug your teenagers in over here and plug the women in over here. You know, there are things that people look for in churches. We don't have that. We meet in a gymnasium, we're brought To you by salsa rita's Mexican food done right. So if you're here, I think it's probably because you want the words of life. Yes. We are here because we want something. And I think it's true of many people in this room that they actually want to level up. They want to obey God better. They want to improve their marriage, improve their parenting. Deal with their bitterness. I mean, I know many of your stories, right? They want to deal with their bitterness. They want to deal with their insecurity. They want to learn how to be a man, how to be a woman of God, how to get a boyfriend, how to get a girlfriend. I think all of us could take a moment and think, not in a bad way, not in a self-help way, but in a in a godly way, I think we could all take a moment and we could think of something where, yeah, I want to level up. I want to obey God better. So what does any of that have to do with the joy of the Lord? Well, actually, it has everything to do with the joy of the Lord. Joy is connected to obedience. Joy is connected to sanctification. This psalm, Psalm 100, is a gospel psalm. It says, For the Lord is good, in verse 5, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. What is His faithfulness to all generations? Ben told us at the beginning um, when he was doing his solo lesson, right? It's Jesus' death on the cross. It's his resurrection. It's the forgiveness of our sins. God did that for us. And in response, we serve him with gladness. And as we serve him with gladness, as we serve him through faith, he starts to change our heart. He starts to sanctify and improve us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit gives us his fruit. And one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy. And that joy actually strengthens us to do the work of pleasing God. If we really believe that his steadfast love endures forever, we are going to be able to grab hold of that. And that will be foundational to the way we live out our marriage, to the way we live out our parenting. To the way we live out our boyfriending and girlfriending, our whatever the places are where you see yourself as deficient, where you in fact are sinful and deficient. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I wonder how many people in this room remember the story of Nehemiah. Israel's been taken into exile, right? Nehemiah is the He's an Israelite, but he becomes the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And he gains favor with the king of Persia through God. And he asks the king if he can go back and begin to rebuild in Israel. And so the stories of Ezra and the story of Nehemiah, you can read these books in the Bible. It's this really fascinating historical account of the Israelites returning to their homeland land after being exiled and starting to rebuild and things like, you know, their temple have been, a lot of their culture has been lost. It's been burned. It's been raised. And now they have to refind it. They have to rebuild it. And there's all these enemies that don't want that to happen. And it's a really interesting story. But what ends up happening in the book of Nehemiah is that they get the law of God and they read it to the people. And some of these people are just back from exile. They haven't actually heard the law of God. And they're just devastated. They see their sins, they see their weaknesses, they see what's wrong with them. you know. And In a more profound way than anyone in this room, they feel their own sinful inadequacy. And they're just all, as, a, as a, the people of Israel, just to a man, to a woman, to a child, they are tempted to despair. And Nehemiah, who's the leader, the political leader, and Ezra, who's the religious leader, the priest, get up, and they say, Actually, you should celebrate. Actually, drink the good wine tonight. Actually, and there's a very famous phrase in there, the joy of the Lord is your strength. As you now are aware of your sins, as you are now aware of your inadequacies, as you are now looking to leave those behind, to level up, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You must have joy if you want to have change, if you want to have obedience. And because God has given you joy, you will have change. You will have obedience. The joy of the Lord is our strength. This applies to us, too. Where where we want to change in our marriages and loving our wives and loving our husbands and all the things you can think of. Everybody's got a different one in this room. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. It should be. Okay, but we still haven't answered the question, what does that look like practically? Like, what is that? What does that mean? So, let me just try to bring it down a little bit for us. Let, Let me just talk about some practical steps for having joy in a godly way and for using that joy by God's grace through His Spirit to begin to obey God better. So, I guess it probably goes without saying it's not all about feelings. Actually, it's not all about, mm, I'm okay, I'm happy now, cranking the smile on my face. But it is about feelings. It is about feelings. Because your feelings should follow. You should, you should have these feelings. You should feel glad. You should be happy. When you walk into the temple of the Lord, the sanctuary, when you walk into this gymnasium, it should make you happy. You should see yourself become more happy. But kind of a chicken and egg thing, right? You can't just start that process by saying, I'm going to be more happy. Or can you? I I think you can. I think you could say, I'm going to be more happy. And and by the way, I'm I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I I had a hard week. Just, we were so busy. The pastor's conference was wonderful. But Jake was sick and things were busy and I was just morose. And I, I, Meredith always likes to choose, like, 1 o'clock in the morning to hit me with her advice and her rebukes. So I'm like, I'm falling asleep. but she's like, you've been really morose. You should have the joy of the Lord. <laughs> okay, good night, sweetie. <laughs> what, don't you care about the Bible? Yeah, I just I don't want to sleep. This, this happens at least once a week. Um, not with the joy of the Lord, but with, you, you, should, uh, you should love Ian. That's not a real one. <laughs> It'll be something like that. It'll be some, whatever, whatever merits big spiritual improvement for me, she gives it to me after midnight, as a rule. It's always after midnight. This is true, yeah. And it's always when my eyes are drooping. And about two weeks ago, I fell asleep on her while she was doing it. And uh, I was very morose for the next couple days, as, as was our marriage. So, so I'm preaching to myself this morning. All right, so what can we do practically to have joy? Again, we're going to be talking a lot about this as we go through Philippians, but I just want to kind of give us a big picture here. Number one, do not rely on false fuel to get yourself through the day. What I mean by that is a lot of us, just to get out of bed in the morning, just to do the work that God's given us to do, we fuel ourselves with all kinds of godless things that are pretty much the opposite of joy in the Lord, of faith in the Lord. Anger. Anger is a big one, right? Oh, I'm so angry at my boss. Oh, I'm so angry at uh, you know, Joe Biden's COVID policies. Oh, I'm so angry at the people who won't get vaccinated. Oh, I'm so angry about politics. Oh, I'm so angry at my husband. Oh, I'm so, why won't my kids stop? You know, we actually channel that into the energy often that gets us through the day. And we could spend a whole sermon talking about why that's bad, but let's not do it. It's bad. Number two, don't fuel yourself with rewards of self-gratification. I think I, think I often do this. I can put up with anything, through any hard thing in my work, in my marriage, in, in whatever. Through the, I can get through the day as long as I know that at like 10 o'clock at night, Before Meredith says her piece of spiritual advice, I'll get to have some really delicious fried food or alcohol or SEX. Those having those rewards, it, it can often be what I work for. Many, many years ago, I used to smoke cigarettes. And the fascinating thing about smoking cigarettes is that you artificially make yourself Feel bad all the time just so that you can give yourself the reward every hour or two of not feeling bad. That's how much we love self gratification. There's nothing particular, you know, a cigarette doesn't get you high, it doesn't make you happy. It just, once you're addicted, it makes you not sad. You know, you start to get antsy, you need a cigarette to kind of calm down. We are actually so in love with self gratification that we will make ourselves feel terrible and kill ourselves slowly so that. Every hour we can have a little reward. I mean, that's, that's, that's all it really is. And I think that that's the worst thing about smoking. But I did for many years, and I love people that smoke if anybody in here smokes. So there's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with any of the things that God's given us to enjoy in this world. But we cannot use those as our motivation, as our fuel to get through the day. The third thing that we need to reject as fuel for our lives. And by the way, oftentimes this can even be the things that we wrongly use as fuel for our sanctification. I'm, I'm just so angry at the stupid sinners that I'm going to not be like them. Or man, I'm going to, I'm going to have self control today because I'm going to be rewarding myself later. And the third one is very much like this. Pride. Just pride. Just loving on ourselves, thinking highly of ourselves. What do you guys daydream about? Oftentimes when I catch myself daydreaming, it's about how awesome people will think I am in whatever little scenario I'm building in my head. We cannot use pride. We cannot use anger. We cannot use self-gratification as the fuel that powers our lives. And oftentimes I think all of us are tempted to do that. So those are the things not to do. Of course, there's many other things not to do, but those are three big ones. Now, how do we begin to, by God's grace, obviously this is all a work of God. I think that should, that has to go without saying because I can't spend too much time saying it. This is all a work of God in our hearts. How do we begin to do the work, though, that He calls us to do? Well, I can think of a couple ways that we can obey the command of this psalm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Very practically speaking, we should recount God's good deeds to ourselves, to each other. We should talk about the things that God's done for us and how wonderful they are. There's another famous psalm that uses the same phrase, His steadfast love endures forever, or His loving kindness is everlasting, as a translation you might know. Uh, it's Psalm 136. Let me just read a little bit of it. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him whom alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever. You read that psalm, it goes on for another 20 verses or something, just recounting the good things that God has done for Israel. If you want to begin to have joy, you could do worse than just recount the good things that God's done for you. We can recount them as a church. We moved into a bigger gymnasium for a very good price. For his steadfast love endures forever. We have a sound system and God is providing more people to lead our worship. For his steadfast love endures forever. The mentals are getting over their COVID and they're going to be fine and they're going to be back with us and Jake already wishes he could be there here. For his steadfast love endures forever. You should have that attitude. You should say those words. You should... You don't, you don't have to be a dork about it. Well, darling, our marriage is going well today. For his steadfast love endures forever. But... Connect the good things in your life to God and do it verbally when you're talking to each other. Rehearse the things that God has done for you. If you have anything good in your life, God has done that for you. So connect the two and then say it with your lips. Uh, Number two. I I said I wouldn't say this, but I am going to say this. Choose to be happy. Choose to be happy. Striking example of this in my life is with my daughter, who's about nine months, no, six months. Yeah. One of those numbers. She's, she's about six months old. And before I had her, I had two separate people. An old friend of mine from Bloomington sat me down and said, Nathan, I just want you to understand you, you, you may not feel anything for this child. Like I didn't really feel anything until my child could smile and. And, and she reached out her hand and grabbed my beard and all this stuff. So, uh, you know, just, just just be aware that feelings don't all, you know, it's, it's not going to be a Hollywood, like, birth scene. The baby's going to look like an ugly little alien <laughs> covered in blood and mucus and stuff like that. So just, just be aware. So they're like, okay, that's interesting. That's good to know. I don't want to set my expectations wrong. And then about a week before, Jake was like, let's meet for coffee, Nathan. And we met for coffee. And Jake said, I just want you to understand It's going to be terrible. Think surgery, think barnyard, think animals, think like, it's going to be, it's going to be awful. So, so just be prepared for that and have a good attitude. You know, he's, this is good advice, right? So I thought about that and I thought, I'm just going to choose to be happy. And I've never done this before in my, in my life before or since, but I thought, (laughs) I am just going to choose whatever alien creature comes out of Meredith however weird and ugly and misshapen its head is, I am going to love that creature. Because that is my job, and who cares how I actually feel about it, but I'm just going to love it. And it was actually very sweet. God bless that, because I did love her immediately. And I'm not promising that that's going to happen to everybody. But what what I am saying is, it was a choice. It was actually a choice. Like, I chose, I chose to be that way, and it worked. And you, you actually have a lot of control over the way that you feel, even for something like that. You can prepare and think ahead and think about what the appropriate feeling is and, and make that choice. I'm not saying, I mean, I'm, I never feel the right things. I go to a funeral, I don't feel sad. I go to a wedding, I don't feel happy. I, I often have Problems with my feelings kind of aligning with the occasion, but what I have realized as as I get older is I have a great I don't have perfect control over that, and I don't want to oppress anybody with the idea that you should. But you have control over that, right? You have some control. You can make a choice. Third thing I want to say is enjoy the good things that God has given you with thankfulness when you eat a good meal. Again, you don't have to be weird about it. You, let us stop and before we enjoy this Arby's and remember his steadfast love enjoys for You don't have to do that. You can if that's how you are, but don't invite me to Arby's. <laughs> um But just connect connect the good things that you have to God. You're you're enjoying something. God God is not I think sometimes we get the idea that God is so big that he's not interested in you know, like he's he's worried about what's happening in Afghanistan and stuff like that. He doesn't have time to worry about whether your Arby's tastes good. Well, actually, God is so big that he is in perfect control over exactly how your Arby's tastes. And he is so big that he can listen to your thanks, even as he deals with, quote-unquote, more important things. So give thanks to God, and you will find that your feelings and your heart kind of comes along with that. I don't want anybody to set a high bar for this. Like, I'm going to feel happy all the time now. I'm going to just exult. I just, let's just do simple things and and, and let our heart, by God's grace, be, hold along. The fourth thing that I want to say is be sad with faith and with joy. Now, how do you do that? Because we all know the Bible calls us to grieve, calls us to grieve with those who grieve. We all know life is hard. Sin is real. Pain is real. People die. Bad things happen. A flock of bats goes across the ceiling. We need to learn how to be sad with faith and joy. And the best way that I can think of to sort of say this is, all right, this is going to sound cheesy, but if, if your grief, is a song, then make sure that the chorus is his steadfast love endures forever. We rehearse our griefs. We think about them. Oh, this person in my life died, or this friendship broke apart, or I don't get along with my parents, or whatever it is. We think about it. We rehearse it. We think this is what it is, and this is what could be, and this is what should be, and we find ourselves rehearsing. This is, this is what so much of bitterness is, of unforgiveness is, is, just thinking in your mind and rehearsing the bad things that were done to you. Well, the difference between doing that with joy and with faith, and doing it without, because there are times where you're meant to do it, is the, the verse is, this person that I love died, or I don't get along with my dad, or whatever it is. Family relationships are hard with the in-laws. That's the verse. And then is the chorus, because God doesn't care, is the chorus, because God just allows these things to happen because he hates me. I think for many of us it is. I mean, we don't, we don't articulate it that way. But when we're in the process of our griefs, of our bitterness, of our despair, we think, well, God, God actually doesn't love me. As you rehearse the things that have happened in your life, the bad things, your refrain should be, his steadfast love endures forever. I am very sad right now because I cannot, because I'm not getting along with my father. His steadfast love endures forever. Put those two things together. Have faith for his steadfast love enduring forever through the hard things in your life. And grieve the things that you have to grieve. Now I said that we all have steps of obedience that we want to take in this room. We all have things that we want to change in. Let's not be overwhelmed by those things. Let's just find the next simple step. And let's have faith that his steadfast love endures forever as we take that step. I think it's easy to get overwhelmed as we work out our sanctifications. By God's grace, it's it, it it's easy to get overwhelmed with. I have to fix my marriage right now. I have to fix my parenting right now. I have to get all these things in order. And when we get overwhelmed and we don't know how to take the next step, and we just get dour and sad about it, that's actually not faith. To not be able to break it down into bite-sized chunks. And pride. It's pride to think that you can fix your marriage all at once. It's pride to think that you can go from not knowing how to be a man to being a man. It's pride to think that you can know perfectly how to get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, go from zero to 60. Oftentimes, God does sanctify us fast. He does reward obedience. But sometimes it's a slow process. And we have to have faith for that. And we have to have joy for that. So as we as a church become what we're going to become, as we as people seek to serve and obey God better, let's have the faith to do it with gladness and to take small steps, small steps, believing that God is a good Father in heaven, that he loves us, and that he is a rewarder of those who serve him.